Hello, and welcome to Sonoran Desert Institute School of Firearms Technology's official podcast, The Gun Rack. Hello, and welcome to The Gun Rack, Sonoran Desert Institute School of Firearms Technology's official podcast. I'm Josiah Upper Folks, call me Joey, and with me is one... Drew Poplin. Hey, how's it going, everyone? It's good to hear from everyone. We are very excited this week. Got a great episode lined up for you. And uh, on the day that this is being published is one Valentine's Day. Joey, do you have any plans? Uh, I actually, as we're recording here in in the past, and uh, I was just thinking to myself that I need to be getting on the uh, make a reservation somewhere train so that I survive the evening with my lovely wife. Uh, So she knows I planned ahead. Um, I'm hoping we can get somewhere uh, nice. I'm actually trying to go to where we, uh, we had our rehearsal dinner way back in the day. So that should be fun. That'd be nice. Yeah. Should be good time. What about yourself? Do you, do you have any plans upcoming or, or things you're hoping to do? Yeah, well, I uh, I feel a little bad about asking you because as soon as I asked, I realized that I myself have not yet made plans for me and my girlfriend. Um, wow, I didn't so realize I, you were a bad person. Yeah, no, uh, probably go out, do something nice, maybe hit the city. She recently moved uh, down to the same state I'm in, though she's in a different city, mm-hmm. so we haven't really been able to explore too much of where she lives. So I think that'd be a really good opportunity for that. Yeah. And not to expose where you people live, but I will say where you live has some of the best restaurants in the state, in which we occupy, which is North Carolina. So uh, people from North Carolina can maybe just conjecture wherever, where that location is, but um, it is the city is famous for some, some good food. So they have they have a pretty good Waffle House. So <laughs> yeah, I bet they do. Actually, I bet they do. Um, so it's Valentine's Day, right? It's now uh, Monday, February fourteenth, twenty twenty two, and uh, unfortunately, um, there is a a firearm that's not associated necessarily, but there is a a incident uh, with a firearm that took place on Valentine's Day. A, a good while ago uh which which firearm is it that we're going to be highlighting today yeah we're we're not talking about cupid's bow and arrow uh no, what we're, we're talking not. about this week as you can probably tell from the uh title of this episode we're talking about the tommy gun we're talking about the tommy gun unfortunately the tommy gun was uh, very famously used in in what people both then and now refer to as the saint valentine's day massacre which is why we're not too excited about associating one with the other but the um we did want to take some time here this year and highlight the tommy gun because it is an iconic firearm in american history uh the the thompson submachine gun saw use uh in uh the second world war pretty famously and the tommy gun was when you think you know prohibition uh gangsters most people think of the Tommy gun, maybe a 1911 in there too. But mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to uh, do a little highlight on the Tommy gun. So without celebrating in any way, uh, 
a a brutal massacre brought on by mob violence we did want to take some time to talk about the tommy gun but before we do that we're going to get into the next segment of name that gun Mm. um do you want to tell them last week's answer oh absolutely right last week we gave clues about the lee enfield uh lee enfield if you guessed correctly please let us know uh we'd love to uh see how many of you guys uh caught on to those clues whether our clues were awful yeah also if we gave it away too easily you let us know that too Mm -hmm. um we want to make this fun for everyone um, and if your answer was more specific, if you said Lee Enfield, Mark one, two, three, 80, uh, you get points for all of those. So, uh, the Lee Enfield patterned rifle, uh, you win. So this next one, uh, coming up here is known for reliability. Uh, it was introduced around the 1960s. Uh, since it was first introduced, it has sold over 10 million uh, firearms, which is, are you serious? I didn't know that. Drew compiled the uh, the info for this one. Yeah, pretty much every source that I looked at said uh, over 10 million. Uh, that which is obviously, crazy. you know, that number just probably could have grown significantly since that time. And it currently has uh, two distinct styles. Um, it is, oh, I will add for those of you who have been listening for a long time, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this earlier. This is the first firearm I ever owned. Um, so if you can think back many, many moons ago, and I may, I may never have, you know, the times I've talked about it might not have survived the final cut. So I may be sending you on a quest for nothing, but (laughs) if I've talked about my first firearm, here it is. It is, in my opinion, the best option all around for its particular niche that it fills. So great firearm coming up. Now we have, have survived to the name that gun uh, for this week. And we're going to move into a breakdown of the Tommy gun. And uh, we're going to, we're going to turn it over to drew for a breakdown. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, just getting into some of the specs, you know, it's just some of the basics. Yeah, fires 45 ACP caliber rounds, has a blowback action, has a muzzle velocity of 285 meters per second. So some things that I guess you could say the Tommy gun was really liked for was its ergonomic design. Uh, I think that's probably the thing that stands out most. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Joey, but... um, I I think it's a pretty gun. Yeah, you look at the gun and you just want to instantly hold it. It's pretty compact. It's reliable. Obviously, it was it, it, it's a heavy gun, and um, I think it goes without saying that it isn't exactly what one would call accurate over long distances. It was much more suited for a close quarters combat. Now, the Tommy gun was first sort of conceived in ni- around 1917 by John T. Thompson. At the time, he wanted to make what he called an auto rifle. Eventually, this idea sort of morphed from an auto rifle to the idea of a machine gun. What's going to be special about it is that it's a machine gun that one person can hold in their hands. Um, And he was originally, it's kind of a wild name, he was originally going to call it the Annihilator. 
which honestly kind of a great name. Yeah, uh, no, definitely an intimidating name. That name also presented problems because um, at the time, you know, World War One had been going on. And so he was trying to get the prototypes and everything produced so it could be used in the war. Unfortunately for him, World War ended before it could really see any use. And so now suddenly, you know, as a content marketer, you have this gun called the Annihilator. Yeah. Uh, that you're it, supposed to, yeah, <laughs> and, to put in the um, commercial market. Yeah. And you are suddenly a little less able to, uh, to mark. That's just, it's just a really weird name to try to market for a civilian populace. Yeah. yeah so, um, you know, they, you know, they had a bit of a problem. So what they did, they tried calling it the M1921 Thompson machine gun, but it wasn't just its name that kind of presented issues uh, when it came to, you know, selling this commercially. It did, honestly didn't do that great at first. The number one reason for this was it was priced very, very high for its time. So, you know, because they couldn't sell it to the average Joe on the street, you know, you know, your, your neighbor, Bob, isn't going to have much of a use for a gun formerly known as the Annihilator. Correct. Um, yes. So um, actually one of their first, you know, one of their first buyers, one of their first contracts was uh, they sold them to the United States Postal Inspection Service. They sold this to the mail people. We armed the United States Postal Inspection Service with something previously referred to as the Annihilator. That's nuts. It was a different time for sure. Uh, you know, it's not called the Roaring Twenties for nothing. Oh, jeez. Um, they also had a contract with uh, the United States Marines. Cool. Um, later, they started selling them to uh, police departments across the U.S., and after making a brief, but, you know, albeit ineffective appearance, I forgot what the statistic is, but um, long story short, it didn't do well, uh, but it um, popped up uh, in the middle of the Irish the, Civil the Wars. The Irish Wars, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. I mean, eventually it made uh, its way into the hands of the NRA, in fact. Not the NRA, the IRA. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> so while it didn't necessarily do that well overseas... Thompson would eventually see its impact become a lot more significant back home. And so now this is where we're getting into sort of the first, I'd say, defining age of the submachine gun. Now, Joey, when you think of iconic guns, you know, sort of what do you think of? Like, you know, I think of like, you know, Vietnam, the Marines having, you know, like M16 or something. Yeah, are you talking about a specific time frame or just guns that are iconic, period? I'd say, like, guns that are iconic to their time period. Uh, the M1 Grand is going to be a huge one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the M16, got to agree with you, it's going to be big. Um, and uh, also, I'd say the the uh, Tommy gun in the 20s. I'd put it right up with those. And if you remember that little interesting fact uh, that I told you a couple minutes ago, you know, both the gangsters and the police, they they both at this time had a Tommy gun. They both used them. And um, I think in particular the gangsters, there was a couple things that they uh, liked a lot about it. As the name The Annihilator suggests, this gun is pretty intimidating. It has a very intimidating image. Um, it's striking. 
Yes, um, it certainly is. I, I think it, in terms of symbolism, it certainly makes an impression on people. It has a high rate of fire. One of the most defining aspects, I'd say, of the Tommy gun is uh, how large the magazines are. You could get 50 rounds in a magazine. There are, of course, also stick magazines. I don't know if there's a... Is there a Tommy gun 100 round drum? I'm going to look that like up seen, while you keep I've, going. I feel like I've, yeah, I feel like I've seen that. Um, either way, it certainly worked for uh, the purposes that they needed it Ooh. to. Okay. Fun. <clears throat> Update. So they do. Um, I can purchase one from... Uh, shop oh from car k-a-h-r firearms group mm-hmm. um and they the one i'm looking at right now is uh 45 acp tommy gun drum magazine 100 mm-hmm. rounds it is 721 dollars uh-huh. so have a deep pocket if you're gonna swing that um i would see is 50 round drum did i make that up is it a hundred round drum or is 50 round drum a thing? I I feel like I saw um Okay, 50, 50 round, round is drums. also a yeah. thing. Yeah. Um hilariously about half it's 370 bucks still. Uh so it's an expensive piece of equipment. I feel like if you're in the hundreds of dollars range, just get the really big one. Like let's go. Ball out. Especially Although, if like if if you uh, had the money to get a Tommy gun, I feel like Go big or go home. Get the get the hundred yeah. round magazine. There's a uh, there, there's one for a little over two hundred fifty bucks at Bud's fifty round one. So maybe Ooh. that is a better option. But uh, if you can get more than one, you know what you have to do. And for whatever it's worth, the uh, Auto Ordnance Thompson 1927 45 ACP 30 round magazine. It's only sixty five bucks. So. It's almost an aesthetic choice at that point between the two, but I feel like you got to go with the aesthetics, you know? Hmm. Uh, that's really what it's all about. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. Um, so, um, again, the gangsters, they, they really loved the Tommy gun. Um, and probably its most famous appearance, Joe, we've been sort of dreading talking about this topic. Yeah, so the St. Valentine's Day massacre is uh, some is horrible gang violence uh, that took place uh, almost a hundred years ago. Now it's nineteen twenty nine, um, so that's ninety ninety seven years ago. Nope, nope, ninety three years ago. Yes, math. Um, t- <laughs> Wait, 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 Such a big wait, wait, deal. Wait, I'm now looking wait. at uh, St. Valentine's Massacre.org, St. Valentine Massacre.org, um, where um, I'll go ahead and acknowledge them as a source for a portion of this. So, Bugs Moran was a gangster uh, pro- in the Prohibition era. And um, for this massacre, uh, members of a rival gang pulled up in a uh, police car. Two of them were wearing police uniforms and ordered Moran's men to line up shoulder to shoulder against the wall of the garage. They they thought they were being raided, so they didn't put up a fight. They just did it, right? And uh, then 
two men with Thompson submachine guns uh, open fire uh, and uh, reportedly also a shotgun. All seven were brutally murdered. And with the exception of a German shepherd dog, apparently, which is brand news to me. I think Um, the dog was in on it. Yes. So it was five of the seven victims reportedly were, were honest to goodness gangsters. And then two, uh, John May uh, was an auto mechanic who did repair work for Bugs Marin. And then Reinhard Schwimmer, which is a, a heck of a name, was an optician who reportedly enjoyed hanging out with hoodlums. Um, okay. I'm sorry. I, yeah, no, it's, it's, no, no, just it's a weird poll quote. We, we can acknowledge that. No, I just want to imagine. So you got a, a mechanic and a, what, an optometrist? Yes. Um, Schwimmer makes, I mean, I'm not going to engage in any sort of victim blaming here but that's that's a raw deal a very tragic uh incident and um it's not officially known who put the hit out but most people in sort of you know common thought leads us to believe that it was al capone right. um uh five years after um uh, after this incident the national firearms act of 1934 uh, basically, it, it kept civilians from purchasing full automatic firearms. Yeah, the um, while you can still, like people own automatic firearms to this day, it severely limited the you know other you know to this time virtually unrestricted world of automatic firearms, and of course. Uh, people with an interest in farms technology or gunsmithing are going to know the NFA, uh, the National Firearms Act of 1934. However, this was not the end of the Tommy gun. It would have um, what I call a second half comeback. Tommy gun really was the Tom Brady of firearms, in my opinion. Tom Brady's never had to come back. He's always been on top. Uh, do you forget 28 to 3? I were oh I see what you mean yeah, yeah. okay yeah I remember twenty eight to three so while the Tommy gun uh, arrived on the market uh, a little too late for it to see action in World War One uh, it was there pretty prominently for the sequel the U S military had actually already been training with the Thompson's uh, machine gun since nineteen thirty eight uh, so by the time the U S actually entered into the war. Um, they had already been pretty accustomed to uh, operating the weapon, you know, but uh, it still had its issues. It still was heavy, still loud. It was complex and it was expensive, uh, which that's not a great combination of problems to have when you're trying to per- mass produce a bunch of weapons to get over to soldiers. Luckily, all this would change um, when Savage Arms, uh, they were uh, who ended up becoming the new producer for the Tommy gun, uh, they created uh, the M1928A1 variant. You know, one of the things was they had the smaller magazines. Uh, I think it was, I think they went down to the uh, 30 round magazine. So that took off a decent amount of weight. And then Savage Arms, what they did, they removed both of the barrel fins. They removed the wooden grip and they simplified the sights on the gun. And basically once they made those changes, 
the Thompson submachine gun became very effective uh, again in you know sort of close quarters, urban environments. You know, if you think about you know you're going to all these cities in France. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, so uh, of course the firearms. Uh, use is going to start to make its way slowly out the door post-World War II, but lots of them were made, uh, as I'm sure you guys know. And as I'm sure you guys know, when a lot of firearms were made of really any particular type, they're going to crop up uh, anytime uh, you have any kind of major conflict, especially when the conflict is between powers that don't really have a native firearms manufacturing scene. Um, so the uh, the Tommy gun, the Thompson, has reportedly popped up in conflicts across the world as recently as the 90s. Um, and still, I mean, honestly, there are worse firearms you could uh, operate with um, in the world. I'd, you know, I'd take it over uh, a Ruger 1022 in uh, in this particular uh, situation. I mean, goodness, if we still see Mosin Nagants out there, you better believe someone's got a tommy gun or a thompson out there uh in in a conflict zone whether it's being actively used or not it's got to be out there somewhere yeah and um yeah that's the tommy gun y'all it's certainly a, a gun that i have on my on my bucket list of firearms that i would love to just take to the range one day um even if it's a variant even if it's um yeah, I believe they have uh, the semi-auto variants. Um, yes, you you can definitely get uh, some sort of approximation of this firearm um, at different be, levels. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be cheap though. Um, actually, I'm looking right now. Uh, so, I'm looking at Car Firearms Group once again. Uh, no, it's not cheap. So, the semi-automatic carbine version is going to there's different versions right there's a sbr with a 10.5 inch barrel it's like 2200 bucks a little more than that there's one that's 2300 bucks there's a, a iwo jima thompson tribute edition with 16 and a half inch barrel uh that's uh 1900 bucks the cheapest one i'm seeing is oh well, that's not so bad is $1,279. And we are looking at, oh, there's one that's gold-plated. For $3,700, you can get a gold-plated one and live out your biggest LARPing fantasies. Don't actually use these for LARPing. That would be insanely dangerous. But uh, $1,279 for a firearm is actually not unheard of. I certainly have paid more uh, for one in my lifetime. And uh, I don't know. That actually that sounds kind of fun. Yeah, that's kind of doable. I piqued your interest. It does. It does indeed. That that yeah. could be fun. That could be really fun coming down the line. Mm. Uh, maybe a future episode. Um, but yes, that is it for the Thompson submachine gun. And now, what we're going to do? We're going to go into our final segment of the day. Once again, it is Tales from the Range. Tales from the Range, compiled by Drew Poplin. This one comes from a gentleman, uh, presumably a gentleman, uh, termed Yosemite Sam. Is this one from a Reddit user? 
No, this is from a, a forum called The High Road. The High Road. Oh, I remember The High Road. Okay, so this is from The High Road user Yosemite Sam. If you listen, hello. Thank you for providing this story. So while working at a range as a firearms instructor, a co-instructor and I had been giving or began giving instructions to a group of students who were about to shoot a combat course. The combat course had both Hollywood cardboard targets as well as steel plates. So prior to putting our students through the combat course, we usually demonstrate the course with live fire. My coworker prides himself on his ability to shoot. And in truth, he does shoot very well. As my coworker instructed, I loaded three of my magazines for him. And the co, my coworker was happy to use my magazines as it saved him time and having to load his own. Everything was going great as he double tapped Hollywood target after Hollywood target almost effortlessly. He made it look easy and then it happened. So he, he reaches the steel plates. He fires his first shot, the slide cycles, but the plate fails to fall. He again fires, sure of his accuracy, and again the plate fails to fall. He then quickly draws the gun back, takes a side profile look at it, and then punches it right back up on target and shoots. Now, by this time, my coworkers and I are laughing with tears in our eyes behind him. Little did he know that we had staged three snake round shots about halfway down the magazine and uh, perfect concerning the steel plates. Even the students got a chuckle out of his frustration in attempting to knock down the plates. Now, to his credit, after the third shot, he conducted a speed reload and finished the course on fire, uh, of fire with all his hits, which is that's a pretty good prank right there. I love that. So for now, that's most of the gun rack. Before we wrap up, I did want to take a moment and acknowledge the sources that we used in the creation of this mm -hmm. podcast. Um, you guys already know uh, about the uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre website, uh, as I referenced that earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, but in addition to that, we have militaryfactory.com, militaryhistoryfandom.com, uh, and wideopenspaces.com. Uh, if you want to learn more about these, uh, feel free to look up Thompson Machine Gun uh, with those particular uh, websites. And uh, I'd be willing to bet you find this info there. So uh, take a crack at that. This has been a great episode. Thank you, Drew, for, for being the research lead on this one. And uh, have fun out there. We'll see you at the range. Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school located at 1555 West University Drive in Tempe, Arizona. Accredited is by the DEAC. For more information, please call 800-336-8939 or visit sbi.edu.